0: Uh, take two things, one is your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The other is take your bulletin and inside your bulletin uh, there are some sermon notes uh, and this week there's some blanks there, grab a pen, a writing instrument and uh, I'd encourage you to follow along and fill those out. Uh, it's a little bit of an assignment for you uh, this week. Well we've been in this series called The God of Me and uh, we we started a number of weeks ago, talking about how we we can go through those uh, those lists, particularly the list of the Ten Commandments, and uh, um, we we get down into the. the Later ones, and we kind of go, okay. Well, yeah, I can see how those might be some hang-ups, and those we have to work on. We have to pay attention to those. But, but out of all of them, the one that we have down pat, that we don't even have to worry about, is is idols. We don't have to worry about uh, worshiping graven images. And yet, uh, very soon in this, uh, in uh, very early in this uh, message series, we discovered that 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 is the main sin that all other sins flow out of and in fact all sin is substituting god for something else and in fact we might not be worshipping these little idols uh, these physical idols but in some way shape or form the sins that we struggle with are that substitution and the things that we're worshipping other than god So that's been the premise for this message series. What are we, what are you putting in that place of God? What are you worshiping? What are you relying on? Where are you finding your hope, trust, peace, faith, all of those things? And are those places and are those things contrary or other than God? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking more specifically about our giving, our our stewardship our tithes and our offerings, and and are those things that we are surrendering to the Lord, or are we worshiping other things, and those things are taking the place of our true worship to, to God. And so today, I want us to look at some next steps, some practical things that we can implement in our lives, uh, you've heard me say this over and over, is that, that knowledge is one thing, to, to state, yes, I believe blank, I believe such and such a thing, it's, it's relatively easy to make that, that statement and that proclamation, and yet, how do we live that out? How practically does that play out in our day-to-day lives? It's, it's fine to talk about things here on Sunday morning, but how does it relate to your life tomorrow, or Thursday, or next Saturday? How does the Word of God and our worship and our relationship with Him affect our day-to-day lives? Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul has been, or Paul continues a conversation and a discussion with the, the church at Corinth, uh, a discussion that he's been having with them for quite some time. Some theologians suggest that this is something that he's been encouraging them and talking to them about for a couple of years. And what it is, is a collection that they're taking, and particularly from these churches in Macedonia or our present-day Greece, of which uh, Corinth is one of those churches. It's not just the church in Corinth, it's a lot of these churches in this area collecting uh, a, a, an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Many in Jerusalem, Christ followers in Jerusalem, were being persecuted. Many of them, it, it ended up having some sort of uh, a social and, and, as a result, economic um, hurt on their, uh, them as families and, and individuals. And so here, Paul, this is what he's talking about, is the generosity that they can uh, participate in or this, this generosity that they, they should have for giving their gifts to this church in Jerusalem. So let's pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says to the church there, "'Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds,' will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. And he lists these two things. He says, first, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And then secondly, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So as a result of you giving, as a result of you blessing, and overflowing with with generosity, these things will take place. And as a result, verse 13, of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Now, we have to move on in this message, but what I want to encourage you to do is to come back to those scriptures there's a lot going on there there's a lot of theology there's a lot of of message in in the next uh, week or so we're going to come back to this as well but uh, but there's a lot of of truth there that Paul was talking about, particularly when it comes to giving so before we get started in into these next steps, uh, I want to make a few comments and then we'll look at some practical um, uh, tools for us to use. I have to say this this past week, actually this past couple of weeks, um, kind of the word on the street, the the discussion has been great. Uh, I've heard a lot of our live groups, this has been uh, a a part of our conversation, whether it's the the actual lesson that they've been dealing with or just uh, some of the byproduct and conversation we've been talking about giving, the, the conversations that are going on are surrounding these messages that we've been having on on Sunday mornings, I have to say that one of the the, um, uh, biggest questions or most frequent questions that I hear out there is, what is a tithe? How much is a tithe? Is it 10%? Is it it more? Is it, what is the number? And it's like, pastor, land the plane, will you? And So here's the answer to that question that you're all dying to hear, and that is this, that in Scripture, a tithe is typically 10%. And I'll tell you why I say typically. Um, We get that number, particularly from Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, where it says that he gave an offer, or this, this tithe, I should say, to Melchizedek the priest, and it was a tenth of everything that he owned. That is a premise for the tithe in the Old Testament. There are other places where that comes up, and as a rule, tithe is 10%. Now, now when we move into the New Testament, it changes somewhat, and let me just back up to say that the tithe, particularly the one that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, and the one that, that Scripture encourages the, the um, Old Testament community of, of Israel to participate in, um, that wasn't the one and only tithe. In fact, if you're looking to for a more biblical um, uh, expression of tithe in the Old Testament, you actually have three tithes. Um, two of them were every year. Uh, one was a, a, a 10% and the other was a 10%. Were, there were two tithes every year that were 10%. And then there was a, a third tithe that happened every three years, and that was 10%. So if you want to do the math, technically speaking, if we're talking about a literal tithe according to Jewish culture and the, Israel, what the, the people of Israel, what they were required to, you could figure it out to 23 and a third percent. But for our usages and for our delineation and for our terminology, as a rule... Typically, a tithe stands for 10 percent. A tithe is that which is, is, is brought to the Lord. We bring our tithes to the Lord, and that's what we talk about, generally speaking, as that 10 percent. The offerings that you'll hear, not only in Old Testament, but also in New Testament, are those that are over and above. So you have tithes and you have offerings. the Old Testament tithe. was was there as a part of their culture. In New Testament, the tithe was not eliminated. Hear me, it wasn't eliminated in the same way that the law was not eliminated. But what we have is an expression, particularly you could take from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is teaching. He says, you've heard it said, and he's talking about the law, and he states. And he says, but I say it has much, much greater ramification than just the letter of the law. In fact, what it has a, a reflection of is to where our heart is. For example, he says, you've heard it says, don't, don't murder. That's a law of the Old Testament. he says, but I say, even if you, even if you look critically or, or treat somebody or, or hold bitterness in your heart, you've actually murdered somebody in your heart. You've heard it say, uh, don't commit adultery. But I say, even if you look on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So it, it doesn't negate the law of the Old Testament. In, in fact, it enhances it and it puts it into a greater prominence and place in our heart. You see, in the Old Testament, you could march through the, and ticking off and checking off boxes with a complete disconnect in your heart. In the New Testament, there's no leeway to do that. When we enter into that relationship with Christ, our Lord and Savior, the leader and the forgiver of our lives, our hearts are surrendered to him, and our hearts are the expression and the outflow of that worship unto him. So, yes, bringing our tithes and our offerings to the Lord is a spiritual discipline. It's a sign, I believe, of obedience to the Lord. The tithes we talk about are the first fruits. Um, That might be a term you're unfamiliar with, but the model in Scripture is our first and our best. Uh, The Old Testament, you have uh, an example of the Israelites under Joshua's leadership going into the land of Canaan, and what was the encouragement and the requirement was that the first of the plunder, that was the first city that they went up against, the city of Jericho, everything that was within that city that was of value was to be given to the Lord. It was the Lord's. And we see what happens when when one family decided that that wasn't necessarily what God meant. And in fact, they could kind of skew the lines a little bit and they took some for themselves. The first and the best, the first fruits. The firstborn is another one that is of of a great prominence in in the Old Testament in terms of the principle of that tithe. The offerings, as I mentioned, are of uh, free will, out of the generosity of our hearts. Really what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians had a lot to do with those offerings. That the generosity would go way beyond what the simple requirements were and that that generosity would continue to build and grow. It's something that would be developed in God's people. So that said, by way of introduction, I want us to look at seven steps, seven next steps for each one of us to move what I would like to say into this more God-honoring place when it comes to giving and when it comes to tithing and when it comes to being good stewards in the way that God wants us to. So number one in terms of the next step is ask why. I encourage you to ask why. Do you know that it's okay to ask God why? And to ask the question why, I'd actually encourage you to do that. And what I would suspect you're going to hear back from the Lord is, number one, because it's mine. I I own it all. He is the creator. He's the provider. He's the sustainer. He's the giver of all good things. Psalm 24, take a look at it. It says, the earth is whose? The earth is the Lord's, and not just the earth, but everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. God's not shy about saying, it's mine. It's mine, and I, I created it. It's created for your enjoy, enjoyment and for your pleasure, but ultimately it's mine. God's possessive about it. He's not ambiguous about the ownership, about who owns it. There's also a principle, when we're asking the question why, there's also a principle and a premise for returning an offering to the Lord. You can go back and when you ask that question, well, why should I give? Why should I set aside those tithes and bring up my tithes to the Lord? Because it's encouraged, it's modeled, it's practiced. In the Old Testament, in fact, it was mandated. In the New Testament, it's the offerings of our heart in response to what God has done for us and how he's blessed us. Malachi 3 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. You know, this is the only place in Scripture where where God says, put me to the test. Try it. Test me. I will, this is something that's a priority for God, and he's encouraging each and every one of us. So as we take that question to why, uh, of why, listen for the response. Do some research. Figure out what God is saying. The second step is ask why not. Ask the question, why not? Why not give? Why not tithe? It would be worth your while to explore this question as well. I believe that there are a number of reasons why people don't, why we don't, why you maybe don't. For some, it's a fear of having less. For some, it's a fear of losing wealth or losing opportunity, that buying power. Maybe there's an inner conflict. Maybe there's a morality issue that's holding you back from giving. Maybe there's a family conflict. Maybe with husband and wife, there's a a disagreement as to whether this should be the case or not and back back away from giving because of the, the potential conflict that's there. Scripture reveals some reasons why not. Explains selfishness and pride, covetousness, Fear is a big one. I mentioned that in some of those reasons we have, but Scripture even reveals the the reason of fear. Uh, There's the parable of the talents. So one was given five, to one was given two, one was given one, and we're told that the one who was given one buried it in the earth. Why? Because he was afraid. There was fear that was a part of why it was not given back, to the, uh, in his case, to the master, but for us, fear. We also see excuses and distractions in Scripture. I don't know how many of you uh, are like me, but when I'm uh, going out for a run, there are plenty of excuses. Why not to go for a run? A lot of things are difficult, and many times we come up with excuses. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 18 Uh, Sorry, Matthew eight calls uh, people to follow him. Would you come? Follow me. Be my disciple. Come along. Learn from me. And there are excuses along the way. In Matthew eight, in particular, one man says, "I can't right now. I have to go bury my father. I got to take care of business. I got to do some things. I'm sorry, I can't follow you right now." There's another place in Luke fourteen where where Jesus is talking about the invitation to the great banquet and and. The invitation that is out there for people to come to this great celebration, and yet there are the excuse after excuse after excuse of why people can't come. One man says, "I bought some land. I have to go see it. I got to go tend to it. I can't come." Another says, "I bought some livestock. I got to go take care of the, those things that I own. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't follow you right now." And another person says, "I just got married. I have to go home and you know take care of uh, uh, those arrangements." all excuses that that Jesus himself reveals of our reluctance to follow him and to heed what he would have for us. It's safe to say that that resistance or neglect is truly a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter that the Lord wants to develop in each and every one of us. And I believe that for each one of us, this could be a, a place of spiritual breakthrough as we seek to be obedient and seek to move into this more God-honoring place this year. The third step is this. I believe we're called to count the cost. Count the cost. As I mentioned, generally speaking, when we talk about a tithe, we're talking about 10%, even though our response to God's love for us is and should be much, much greater than that. But let me encourage you to start there. And I understand there are there are discrepancies and, and and some would, would say, oh, it's it, it, we're not required by that 10. And others would say it would, it should be much higher than that. I think oftentimes we get stuck and caught up in that debate. And because we get caught up in that debate, we think, well, it's not important. And instead of 10%, it ends up 0%. Just because we get discussing what it should be, and, and, and without coming to a conclusion, we feel like it's not important. So it's very easy for whatever percent to become no percent. But I encourage you to figure it out so you know what you're dealing with. Do the math. In, in uh, Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? to see if you have enough money to complete it. Do the math. Don't leave tithing, your tithe, as a theoretical question mark or a theoretical amount. Don't leave it there. Do the math. Land. Start with that 10%. Do the figuring. See what it would be. And then I believe step four is the most important out of all of them, and it's pray, listen, and develop a plan. Pray, listen, and develop a plan. I believe it's important for us to hear from the Lord in this, not just hear from your pastor, not just hear from from other pastors or other teaching. I believe it's important for you to hear from the Lord. I think you need to... um, Think about and and understand, first of all, we heard about this last week. You need to know what, what you need to ask the question, what is my debt? What are my expenses? And as you pray, I want you to ask the Lord about those things. What does my debt say about my spiritual maturity or my priorities? What do my expenses say about my spiritual maturity and my, my priorities? We're talking about the God of me. Really, what are we worshiping? What, what is the reflection? And I, I believe that each and every one of us should take that question to the Lord and say, Lord, what does what my financial state right now say about my relationship with you, my level of trusting you? What are my priorities in life? What are those things that I'm chasing after? What are those things that are, are truly important? Um, in the crosshairs of my focus? Am I honoring God with those things? I'm here, and I know the Lord wants me to be here. How do I move from here to there? How, how, God, what is it in my life that, that you want to speak to me about so I can move to that more God-honoring place? How do I do that? I want you to ask him and listen for a response. A lot of times we get into our prayer closet, we get into our prayer life, and we got our list of things. We're praying for these people and these people and these people, and we ask the Lord a question, then we walk out the door. I encourage you, this week, take this to Him and say, Lord, where, where, where's my giving at? Where would you like to take it to? I think that there's some people in here that you're, you're maybe over 10%. That doesn't exclude you from taking that to the Lord and saying, Lord, where do you want me to be? For some of you might be under, well under. Some of you might not be at a point where you're giving yet or you're you're tithing yet. I want you to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you like for me to get from here to here? Take that to him. For some, I, I think even for all of us, it's important for us to seek wise counsel. When we talk about developing a plan, I think we need to have prayer support and prayer partners, accountability partners. Maybe for some it's debt counseling. Maybe you need help with with budgeting and help with your expenditures. But that all falls into that area of developing a plan. Philippians 2, take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Here Paul t- talks to the church. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I love verse 23. It says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in, in order to fulfill his good purposes. God's plan for your life is that you would be uh, equipped and enabled to serve him in a way that is, is pleasing to him, but in a way that is, is living your true identity. And that's in a way that's pleasing to him. And you know that you're not capable, nor are you required to do that on your own. It's God who works in you and through you through the power of his Holy Spirit to do what? To will and to act. So as we take this to the Lord and we say, Lord, your promises say that that if you're speaking to me about something, you're not going to leave me to my own devices. In fact, you're going to enable me, not only in the willing department, but in the acting department. You can rely on that so as you're developing that plan, as you're listening to him, you're praying, you're listening to him, and you're developing a plan, know that he's the one that will, will enable you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. You know, it's not just the head knowledge. It's not just the saying yes. It's the allowing it to flow, flow out. So pray, listen, and develop a plan. Step five, start now. Start now. Two weeks ago, Jonathan was, was speaking and he was talking about uh, Joshua 24 when Joshua and the people of Israel were, were uh, uh, entering into the promised land and they were surrounded by all these, these the, uh, uh, pagan communities and pagan worship and, and a lot of those things were attractive and a lot of those things were, were starting to creep their, their way into the Israelite community. And what does Joshua say? He stands up he says, you know what? Y'all need to decide. Y'all need to decide. You know what? For some, it might be your ancestors' gods. It might be those things that enamor you. It might be looking back into Egypt and and what uh, was incorporated back then, the, the stories that you heard way back in Egypt. You know what? It might even be these gods that are around us right now here in the land of Canaan. Or it might be the one true God, but hear me right now. And Joshua's telling the people of Israel, today you need to choose. It's not a matter of going, you know what, we're gonna just kind of wait and see and hold off and make the decision at a later. No, decide today. Do it now. Choose this day who you're gonna serve. Don't delay, don't wait. You know, talking about our tithes and our offerings, and really what was brought about in the New Covenant was this expression of our hearts. And I think a lot of times, as, as we come to this place of giving of our tithes and our offerings, we're, we're waiting for the, the heart to lead. We're waiting for us to feel it before we do it. And I think that's a lot of time, not the only reason, but I think a lot of times that's the reason why we as Christ followers don't participate in this act of giving is because we're waiting for it to feel first before we do. And here, like any discipline, like any act of obedience, when it comes to our relationship with God, it really comes to the doing First. It really comes to the surrender, really comes to the, the, the humbling of ourselves. It's like really any discipline in life, right? I, I, I know, I, but trust me, I know my 50-year-old body or 52-year-old body knows I need to work out. You know, do I truly feel invigorated and, 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 you know, the first step on the treadmill or the first step out onto the street in front of my house to go for a run, I'm not sitting there going, whoa, this feels so good. No, I do it because I know that the discipline of doing it is going to have a benefit on the backside. And the same way, time and time again in Scripture, we see that that, that the doing is followed by the blessing. uh, The doing and and the uh, the discipline is followed by the, the blessing that's attached to it. Often we want to wait until we feel it. And think about applying that to other issues of faith. Worship, scripture reading. How about marriage? How about morality? In this case, the feeling will follow the doing. And it's like in any discipline, the doing is first. As you do, the benefits follow, and the doing becomes easier because you see the results. Sixth, I'm in a hurry here. I know i got a couple more to do, but we'll we'll, we'll wrap up pretty quick. Number six, persist and persevere. Any spiritual matter is going to have spiritual opposition. This is a spiritual matter, and you will have opposition. John 16, Jesus says, you will have trouble in this world. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul encourages the church at Ephesus, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? Against the devil and against the devil's schemes. For our what? For our bliss and our happiness and our... No, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy doesn't want you to live a disciplined Christ-following life. Period. So there will be opposition. You will have every opportunity to say no. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to. There will be spiritual attacks. There will be spiritual opposition, and we're called to persist and persevere. Finally, acknowledge God's work acknowledge his work. Acknowledge the character of God, your spiritual growth and the blessing that he wants to pour out in your life. Not just in the financial area, but we're talking in joy, and peace, and contentment, on the ability to forgive, the ability to bless. The, the, all of these things are a part of the character of God. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he's at work and he wants to show you his goodness and favor. Luke 6 says, Given it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the mes- uh, measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Some people will go, Well, that's the name and then claim it, you know, um, give it and it's going to come back. And uh, it, well, Let me just say, No. We, we can get to a, a more mature place in, in, in discerning what Scripture is saying than just at that base level. God's character is one of He is so for you. He loves you so much. He's got a plan for your life, not just in this area, in other areas. In fact, uh, uh, Luke 6 is talking about forgiveness. It's talking about extending grace. It's talking about more than just money, But this is one of those characters of God. He wants to pour out his goodness and favor and blessing in your life if you simply trust him. And as a result, I believe it's important for us to acknowledge his work in our lives. Malachi says, uh, the Lord says, test me in these things and see. Well, when we do and we see response, let's worship him and let's praise him. Let's testify of his goodness in our lives. Uh, I don't think God is is going to um, really be upset if, if we share with one another, you know what? This is hard. This is difficult. Just, it's not just the giving side of things. You know, Christian life with the opposition that comes, it's hard. It's difficult. It's, it's not easy going. But I tell you, the goodness and character of God means that there are blessings attached to it. There's joy. There's peace. There's comfort. There's contentment. There is life, life to the fullest. And so as we participate in this, as we test the Lord, as we walk in this discipline, can we give the Lord the honor and glory that's due his name? Jesus talks about uh, the, when he healed the, the ten lepers and, and only one of them came back. He said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? And he, and he, he points out this one who came back and testified to the, the saving power and the healing power of Jesus and the encouragement for each one of us is as we experience his goodness and his favor and his blessing, and we experience this, this, this um, uh, maturing and, and moving from one place to a more God-honoring place and seeing him at work in our lives, can we testify that God is at work, that God is doing his work to, in us to will And to act according to his good pleasure. I'm inviting the worship team to come join me. And let's all stand. And we're going to pray together. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And like Pastor Barry, every Sunday leads us to this place. And I love it how he encourages us to open our hands and open our our arms as a posture of receiving. We want to do that. And Lord, right now, right here, we we simply want to say, Lord... Um, Left to our own devices, we could certainly come up with some ideas and some answers and some ways and methodologies, Lord, but we don't want to do that. Lord, we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We, We surrender our lives to you. And just like your word says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Lord, see if there be any anxious ways or some versions would say some wicked ways in me. Some of those places in my life that are not lining up where you want me to be. And so, Lord, not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way. I pray that you'd lead us, lead us, lead us. Holy Spirit, speak right now. Lord, that the words that I've spoken this morning wouldn't be words of condemnation. They wouldn't be words of manipulation. But Lord, they would be words that would open our hearts to hear from you, to know your heart. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who knows us, formed us, made us, created us. and has an incredible purpose for our lives. So we surrender to you, Lord. I pray we would explore joyfully all of the blessings, all of the goodness, all of these ways of obedience in which we can honor you. So Lord, we love you. Pray a blessing on this congregation and those present here today. I know you're going to speak loudly and encourage us in our faith walk. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.